All right. We are in a series in the book of Acts called The Holy Spirit in You. And today's text is so long, I'm going to let you be seated until I'm done reading it, and we're going, to, we're going to stand for the prayer. So here we go. Acts chapter 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily food distribution. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And then over in Acts chapter 8, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip, one of the deacons that got anointed, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your word. I ask, God, that you would speak today. Jesus, you prayed, Father, make them one. Then the world will believe. Lord, would you make us one today? Would you come and speak to each person just what they need to hear? God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is One Family. Point one is the family that has gone before us. Oftentimes, we get into this thing, and I especially think in America, where we just 
we lose track of what's happened in the past and we think it's all about us and what we're doing and, and what we're going to do. And the truth is, is in God's perspective, we are one family. The family in heaven that's already been on earth is still connected to us. Jesus said, many from the east and the west are going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of Acts chapter 7 is Stephen telling everybody who we are and who we are is defined by all those that have gone before. He tells the whole Old Testament story. This is our story. We are connected to this story. Well, the book of Acts is the first revival in the church, what God had planned for his church. And what happens throughout church history is you have these times where the church kind of loses track of their identity and then God brings them back. And, and so there's this history of revival in the church. So for you and I to not know our history, our spiritual history, is to live as orphans. That we, don't, we don't know where the family came from. We don't know the, the history. We don't know what has come. And so the, the purpose of this series that I'm, I'm doing starting next Sunday night um, is so that we can be connected to history. We are going to do next Sunday night, we'll be on the Protestant Reformation. And the, it goes from 6 to 7.30. And 6 will be worship. And then I will speak for an hour, and right at 7.30, there will be a time. Actually, we won't dismiss. We will open the altars. I've waited to do this series because I realize it has to be live. There has to be a chance to come to the altar. And here's why. God wants to impart something from all those that have gone before. We, we, it's humility to honor them, to honor their courage, to honor their faith, to say, God, they did that. We, I want that. But it's also very important that we learn from their blind spots. As I've been studying church history, I'm like, oh, my, this series should be called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I, I, honestly. There's, there's many blind spots. In every revival, there's blind spots, and we can identify them. See, God's plan was not that we would have to relearn everything, but that we would be on the shoulders of the generations that have gone before. That the harvest that comes in in our day, it's not just our harvest. They sowed into it. They were part of it. We, the family is connected in heaven and on earth. The, the, it's, it's one, the t and the title of my message is One Family. All right, point two, making room for more in the family. So here's what's going on in Acts chapter 6. So you have these Hebraic Jews, these, the widows, that they are, be, they, they are, Hebraic means they know Hebrew, they know Aramaic, which is very close to Hebrew, and that was what the, they preached in the Jewish synagogues. That was the, the language of the religious people. And they were kind of the first ones saved, and they're the, the closest to ancient Judaism, and, and so they're, they're being taken care of. Well, the problem is, is more people are getting saved. 
And, and at this point, it's still all Jewish. But there are some Jews from the diaspora, which is when, when Israel was destroyed, it got spread all over the world. So there were all these Jews that lived in countries all over the place. And they were the Greek speakers. That's the Hellenists. That Greek was the, the common language of that day. So they didn't know... Hebrew or know very little Hebrew and so they got saved and they came in and and they they are being overlooked it doesn't in from the text it doesn't appear that it's intentional but sometimes when somebody's different when somebody's come from the outside it's easy to say you know this is our group and you're you're the new person and so you're kind of on the outside looking in and we're, we're going to take care of ourselves first the apostles saw this happening, and they said, this, is, this isn't right. This is, this is not right. Everybody that Jesus brings in adds to the family. There's one family. There are not two tiers in the family. Everybody that's in is all the way in. The church needs to make room for more in the family. The church has to adjust to the new people that have come in, to the new needs that are represented, to the new culture that these new ones bring in. Every time the church expands, it has to make room. Every church, every local church has to decide, is this just going to be about us? Is this just going to be about our church? Is this just going to be about what, what we want and everybody else, they can come and they can kind of attend, but this is our, our church. How many know that this isn't our church, it's his church? Amen. It's his church. And, 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 he, and, and we have to make room for the people that he brings because everybody that comes has a culture they have gifts, they have personality, and there has to be room in the family for everyone that he wants to bring. So in this situation, it's really intense because the way that widows were taken care of in Israel, the way God had planned was for family to take care of the widows. There were, women didn't work in those days and so a widow had lost her means of support so somebody had to take care of them so extended family was responsible for widows but what happens when you get saved in 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 at that time and oftentimes today in the middle east not just in israel but in in all of the uh is muslim countries when they get saved they lose their family they lose their natural family. And so all they have is this new family called the family of God. Here is a verse that's become very, very close to me um, through the years, but especially this week as I've thought about this. And here it is. It's Psalm 68, 5 and 6. It says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, and the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. 
How many know we live in a very broken culture right now? We live in a very, very lonely culture where people oftentimes are disconnected from family or there's dysfunction in their family and they, they're, they're isolated and they're broken and God sees it. God sees all the pain. God hears every cry and here's his plan. I'm going to take the lonely one and I'm going to set them in a healthy family. So this is the heart of God. I'm, I, I, I hear the cry of the orphan. I hear the cry of the widow. I hear the cry of, of, of the single mom. I hear the cry of those that are, are desperate and discouraged and depressed. I hear their cry. And so God's searching. He's looking for churches that are healthy that will make room for somebody else. For churches that will say, come on in. Come on in. Be with us. He's looking for churches that are welcoming. He's looking for churches that are filled with love. He's looking for churches that aren't going to be judgmental. And he's saying, can I trust you? Can I trust you with these? Because if I have my way, if this is really my church, I'm going to set the lonely in your family. And they're going to come with baggage. And so we all need to decide that now. Is this just our church, or is this his church? And who knows who God's going to bring into this place? Every time he brings more in, they need to be in right away. Last year in June, there were race riots in this country, and George Lloyd's, Floyd's death led to a discussion, and I preached a message on it, and... and uh, and, and, and we, we, we put together a night of listening, and we had the pastoral staff and all people of color that come to City Church came to this meeting, or they were invited to this meeting, and a number of them came. And instead of us talking, we listened. Just we listened. What is it like going to City Church as a person of color? It was a very difficult night for me. It's very hard to hear. These were precious, precious people who love the preaching here, love the Holy Spirit here, love the, the vision of climbing the mountain, but kind of were feeling like this is why we're going to a white church is because, you know, of these other things. I don't want anyone to go to a white church. I don't want people to go to my church. I want them to go to their church. Everybody should be able to own the church. Everybody should be able to say, that's, that's my church. And so we, it says that Jesus' church is represented by every tribe, every nation, every tongue. God, Jesus wants the church in color. Amen. So, we, so we put together a culture council and... Um, so that we could, we could actually strategize. And I just want to read to you the mission statement of the council. This is their, the statement they came up with. The mission of the council is to be a catalyst to help our community better express our diversity and connect with God and each other so that everyone feels at home. And what we learned was 
if you feel like it's not really your thing, that you're going to somebody else's thing, you're on the outside, so you're not going to push yourself forward, you're not going to volunteer, and so we just, as a council, we just said, we're going to go after people, and so we're, we've recruited people for, for greeters that are people of color, and worship team people, and elders, and, and, and at every single level of this church, we want people of color represented so that this can be a home for everybody. So that everybody can feel like, hmm, this is my church. Point three, recognizing our extended family. So I want to talk about Philip. Um, up until this point, in Acts chapter 1 through 5, it's all about the apostles. All the miracles are done by the hands of the apostles. All eyes are on the apostles. All authority is in the apostles. And it's for the reason that these are the ones appointed by God to carry the message, to keep it pure. And so it's going to happen through the apostles. But the church is getting too big. And there are some things that if the apostles do everything, then it, 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 they can't do what they're called to do. And so they... Get, they get together and they say, we're going to give away some of our authority. And so they take these seven guys that are filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, they lay hands on them, and they give some of their authority away. The response of God is immediate. The church multiplies Stephen, who starts out as just this servant, willing to do anything, waiting on these tables, waiting on these Greek widows. How can we help you? What can we do for you? It says in, in the very next verse, 6, 8, that signs and wonders started happening through Stephen. That's actually what led to his martyrdom as God was using him in signs and wonders. The second deacon's name is Philip. Philip, when persecution comes to the church through Stephen's martyrdom, he, the, the, he, they get scattered and he goes to Samaria. And here's the guy, once again, he starts out, I'll do anything. You want, you, I'm anointed to serve tables. Great, I'll take care of these Greek widows. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And now God starts to use him in signs and wonders. It was like God was just waiting for the disciple, for the apostles, to release authority so that his church could grow, so that his church could multiply. If this doesn't happen, then the title of this book, which in most of our Bibles it says, The Acts of the Apostles. And we started out, I started out the series by saying, Acts is not really about the, the, the Acts of the Apostles. First five chapters are. But it's really about the acts of the Holy Spirit. Because from here on, he's using people that are just normal people, regular people, filled with the Holy Spirit. This was the plan of God. And so, uh, so Philip is being used by God, and, and as soon as there was a release of authority, it started happening somewhere else. John Wimber 
one of my one of my heroes you'll hear about him in the revival series he started the vineyard churches he died in 1997 but he came out of a very very rough background and and he wanted to do the stuff he wanted to do, he, he 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 really bothered his pastor he's like when do we get to do the stuff it's like what do you mean, do the stuff? You, you know, you're coming to church, you're going to Bible study. No, no, the stuff. I want to do the miracles. I want to, I want to cast out demons. I want, to, I, want, I want the miracle. Oh, that stuff. And, uh, and God raised John Wimber up to move in great power, and he wrote books on power, but everywhere he went, the word of knowledge moved through him, and he would call things out, and God just used him in the supernatural, and and one day God said, I, I, now I want you to release what you have to others. I want you to give away what you have. I want you to raise up others. I want, I want to pour out gifts. And, and he was a little offended. He's like, well, this is, Lord, this is my gift. It's my ministry. I like it. Everybody comes to me. The Lord says, um, if you want to grow in your anointing, you need to give it away. You need to release it. it. This is just how the kingdom works. You want more? Release what you have. Release what you have. Start cheering for other people to move in their gifts. Start raising up other people. Get, get excited about other people's gifts. Folks, this is what City Church has to become to multiply. I, I'm so excited about our young people. Uh, this week we had, on Thursday we had two young women speak for a half hour each. Uh, Friday morning, we had two young men speak. Honestly, you, it was amazing. You're just like, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea what was in these people. This, this is the plan of God. He wants to release people to move in the anointing. He wants to bring out of normal people. Well, on, on Wednesday night, we had Ted Gary speaking, and he did some prophetic time at the, at the end, and he, he called up one young man, had him stand up, and I knew this young man. I knew that, he, that I had talked to him, that he felt like there was a call to be a pastor, and, and that God was calling him, and is it really God, and I don't know for sure, and um, and, and Ted says, you're going to have to examine this. He says, but I feel like there's a shepherd's anointing on you and that you're going to be a pastor. And he just started shaking and crying. And his mom happened to be sitting right behind me. And she started convulsing with weeping. I mean, it was a God moment. Why? God is releasing anointings. He wants to multiply. He wants to raise people up. He wants this church to be a releasing church, not a holding on church, but a releasing church so that he can do all that he wants to do. So uh, Philip goes to Samaria. You've got to understand, Samaria, Samaritans are the arch enemies of the Jews. Jews don't even walk in Samaria. They walk around. To go to Galilee, to Jerusalem, you, the shortcut is to go right through Samaria, but they always went around. And here's why. Um, when the kingdom divided, Jeroboam 
uh, was the head of the northern kingdom. First thing he did is made idols, and there were 18 evil kings in the northern kingdom, and finally God said, I'm going to remove Israel. I'm going to remove the northern kingdom, and so Assyria came in and took them all out. And Assyria repopulated Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. He repopulates Samaria with Assyrians. And then he sends a few Jewish priests down there to give them some structure. But it's treated like a cult. It's treated like, like you don't want to be poisoned by a Samaritan. And, uh, and so to this point, first, first six chapters, it's just Jewish. Everybody, it's just Jews that are getting the gospel. Some are Hebraic, some are from the diaspora, but it is only Jewish as the people of God. But nobody, but, but Philip never got the memo. So Philip's in enemy territory, and he's just, I'm here anyway. So he starts preaching. And as soon as he does, the power of God comes and confirms the word with signs and wonders, confirms this message. And people are getting saved, and demons are coming out, and paralytics are getting healed. And the, the, How many know miracles draw a crowd? And, and there's great joy in the city as, as people are getting saved. And there is a new church that's not Jewish. It's Samaritan, and it, and it looks very, very different. And so, uh, but for it to be official, no one will ever accept this if the apostles don't endorse it. So God withholds in some level the Holy Spirit. The, the manifestation of, that they had received at the beginning of, of speaking in tongues and, and experiencing that fullness, that hasn't happened yet. Even though they're believers, even though they got baptized, the full expression of the Holy Spirit hasn't been given. And I, I have a feeling God withheld because I don't think these guys are going to be accepted if the apostles don't accept it. So they're like, we need to, we, Philip sends for the apostles. Now John and Peter have a decision. So they start walking to Samaria. Maybe they took a camel, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they got to Samaria. But I'm thinking about the trip. And I'm thinking, especially John, what's going through John's mind. Because the last time John was in Samaria... It was when Jesus was on his way to the cross, and Jesus insisted they go through Samaria. And so he says to James, John and his brother James, you go prepare a place in Samaria, because we're going we're gonna to go through there. We're going to stop in Samaria for the night. And James and John went, and they tried to make those arrangements, and the Samaritans wouldn't let them, because they're the enemies. So James and John come back. This is all in Luke 9, 51 through 56. And James and John, they're pumped up. They come and they say, uh, uh, Lord, they, they would not allow us to come. Is this the time that we call fire down to consume them? <laughs> and they're, they're, they're thinking about Elijah and they're thinking about the prophetic and we're going to, it's time to, to do some, it's game on with the Samaritans. And, and Jesus says, you boys don't even know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but that they might be saved. And isn't it amazing 
that, that John, who wanted to call down fire, now comes and calls down the fire of the Holy Spirit. Amazing. The other scripture, I think, as they were walking, John's remembering that event. And then, well, probably both Peter and John are just like, yeah, huh. Jesus did say that, didn't he? Right when, before he ascended, he said, you're going to be my, Holy Spirit's going to come, you're going to be empowered, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, which they were doing, and in Samaria. Huh. Huh. He did say that, didn't he? Did, John, did he say Samaria too? I, I, th- I think he did. People that aren't like us. So, so important that we expand our horizon and that we engage with people that are very different than us. How, how do you overcome prejudice? Make a friend that's, that you're, of the people that you're prejudiced against. Oh, I don't think I am prejudiced. Okay, then you shouldn't be afraid of making friends with people that aren't like you. So I want to tell you about my neighbor, George. We have got this guy. He's older. He's got a walker, and he goes on walks all the time. And he, his name is George. He's from Tibet. And uh, he, he, his, he's got an adult son and an adult daughter that live with him. And so they're usually with him. Well, somebody's always with him. And they walk. Well, I do prayer walks all the time. So I run into George all the time. And uh, we greet each other. I've prayed for him in the past. And, and, but I, I, I had often said to the adult son and daughter, because George doesn't speak that great of English, but we, we, we love each other. And, but I say to the adult son and adult daughter, we, we, we want to have you guys over for dinner. We, we want to have you guys over for, for, for burgers on the grill. And, and one, one time I, I, I went to Alice and I said, Honey, we have got to have these people over. I mean, we, I can't even see them anymore if we don't make an actual time when we're having them over. Otherwise, it's empty. Every time you see somebody, we should get together. We should get, at some point, if you really want to get together with them, you need to set a date. And so she's like, let's do it. Let's set a date. So the next time I'm over there, I'm on my prayer walk, and the daughter's husband, George's son-in-law, is riding his bike into the garage. And it's the first time I've met him. And I said, hey, I said, we want to set a date to have your, 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 your family over. The whole, everybody here, we want to come over. And he looks at me and he says this. He said, did you know there's 12 people that live in the basement? <laughs> and I'm just, I'm stunned. And he goes, just kidding. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I love this guy. I just love this guy. This is amazing. So anyway, we, we set the date, and they come over, and they bring some Tibetan, uh, Tibetan dish, and, uh, and we get to hear their story. Story is amazing. When George was 10 years old, 
China attacked Tibet, and they had to flee. And him and his, they left everything, their home, their employment, everything. And they survived in the jungles of India. And then George was one of a thousand people chosen by the American government. It was kind of like a lottery type thing to get asylum in the United States. Just George, not his family, just him. So he comes over here, starts at nothing, and then eventually brings his family over. And they're Buddhist. And so we talk about Buddhism. We, I ask them a number of questions about their Buddhism. And, and we get to know them. We get to know where they're coming from. And so I saw his daughter out. We hadn't seen George walking in a while. And I saw her, his daughter walking. And I asked her, Where's, what's happening with George? She said, well, he had to go to the hospital. And, uh, and so that happened a couple weeks ago, but two days ago, I saw George was back. He was out on his front porch, and I'm on my walk. I go right up to him, and I hear about what's going on with him medically, and I said, I said these words. I said, George, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God loves you? And he said back to me in his broken English, he said, what I know is that you are a blessing to me. You are a blessing to me. I've given them my book on Christmas, and I'm, uh, George is going to get saved. I have no, I have no question. Uh, 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 he, he, he is on God's radar. But it, it starts, guys, with us doing, just, just getting out of our own box, inviting someone over, making a friend. Be, here's what they know, that you're a blessing. That's how it starts. All right. Recognizing our extended family. I want to talk for a moment about other churches. We need to be the biggest cheerleaders for other churches. At the end of last week's service, I talked to a lady, and she said that she has a friend that is a cessationist, and whenever they're together, it will eventually become an argument because she's got the Bible and why God doesn't do anything, do miracles anymore, doesn't. And she said, what should I do? I said, you know what? Just say you're not here to argue. Just we share more in Christ than what divides us. And so just refuse to argue and just focus on Jesus and focus on what you do share. And remember this. A cessationist is one miracle away from not being a cessationist anymore. <laughs> one, one miracle away. So last year during the pandemic, um, I got a call from, uh, it was actually an email from a local Catholic church. And somebody from our church is their friend. They found about me that I've got a, a background in Catholicism and they wanted to know if they could 
interview me, if I could be part of their small group. And I write back immediately, love to, absolutely love to. Let's set it up. So we did it on a Thursday night. It was all by Zoom. And there's like 20 Catholics. And I give my testimony. And, and then they get to ask me. It was just an absolutely delightful night of sharing. So a month ago, one of my mom's good friends, family's good friends, died and my, my brother Jimmy and my sister Denise and I went to the funeral. And it was at the church that I was raised in and they've got a new priest there. And he comes up to me after the service and he says, uh, he said, I've got a good friend in that church that you went and did that for. One of the, the, the priests there is a good friend of mine and and so I have had now all of our staff has watched the YouTube of your testimony. Well, the way that there was a YouTube of my testimony is a guy from High Point came over here and with all of his video, and he said, I want to record your testimony. So that's how it's even on the, the Internet. And so here's this group, Catholic group, that... that they're, they're embracing my story. We, uh, so that, that's my mom's good friend that died. Well, a, a week later, one of my dad's best friends died, and they were neighbors just down the street. And, uh, and I get a call from his wife, and she says, Tommy, because in Milton I'm Tommy, Tommy, I know that Dave would want you to do his funeral. And because uh, they had watched me online, they had watched our services, and they, he said, she, he, she asked me if I, would, if I could do that. And I said, she said, do you even do funerals in other people's churches? I said, absolutely. They go to the Methodist church in Milton. I'm like, absolutely. I would be happy to do it. And so it all gets scheduled, and then I get a call from her the next week. So it's the week of the funeral. And she says, Tommy, I've already asked you so much. I hate to, I hate to say this, but because all they've seen is me preaching online. She says, would it be possible for you to put on a suit? <laughs> I'm like, I said, Jan, um, I always have a suit on when I do funerals. <laughs> and I got, to, I got to preach to all these Methodists that it was jammed, all of Milton was, all the different people from my past were there. And, um, but that's the Methodist church. Probably three weeks ago, I get a call from... Uh, young man, he's a pastor on staff at a denomination. He's, he's not the head pastor, but he's on staff at a denominational church in Madison. And uh, he asked me if we could meet together. And I'm like, absolutely, let's do it. So he comes in and he tells me his story. And he says, I, there has just been this growing hunger for God. 
this growing desire for more, that there's got to be more. He's in charge of young adults and youth, and there's just got to be more. There's got to be more for me, and there's got to be more for them, and I know we, we need more, and I've been asking God for more. And he said, uh, he said, one morning I woke up, and he said, before I was completely awake, he said, I had a picture of your face. And he said, he said, I have fought it, I have tried to get away from it, and I just know that for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit wanted me to meet with you. And I'm like, dude, you can have everything I have. And so we're going to meet again in a month, but I've given him stuff to watch, stuff to listen to. I mean, he's, he's just, he, God has told him, here's how you're going to get more. Guys, the river is rising. The river is rising in the entire body of Christ. We, we were going through a horrible, horribly difficult time in 2011, and I thought we were going to have to close our Christian high school. And I went to Nick at High Point, and I, I asked them if they would come in and, and help us with the school, and, and they did, and they, they provided some leadership, and really, from that time on, the ch- school has just turned around, and um, from that, we started something called Impact Christian Schools, which is started out uh, just us in High Point, but now Lighthouse has come in, a Latino church, and, and it's, it's now this, this culture of unity in the city. This next week, actually, Impact Christian Schools is putting a bid on the building that Pastor Sam, who preached here Thursday night, his church meets in that building. And because the next school is going to be on the south side and it's going to be for people of color and churches are working together. Pastor Sam's church wants to adopt that. God is doing something to unite the church in this region. My my son-in-law... John is on staff at High Point, which means this almost killed me, that my daughter had to leave City Church to go to High Point. I guess she had to be with her husband. (laughs) Almost killed me. But this is what God's doing. He's, He's unifying us. Today, High Point is confirming Devin White as a staff pastor to come on staff at their church. Well, Devin White is the son of Brian White, who's an overseeing elder of City Church. Devin was brought up in Pentecost. He is Pentecostal. God's bringing the church together. The, 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 the river is rising in Madison. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask... Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. We're going to have communion here in just a moment. I want to remind you, and, and if, you ha- if, you're, if you don't go here, you, you've probably never heard this, but the initial vision for City Church came to me in September of 2005. And I was at a church in southern Minnesota, and uh, friends in both Mad City Church and Lake City Church, and in, a, in kind of a dramatic prophetic experience, God said, these two churches are going to come together. 
Lake City and Man City are going to come together. It's going to be called City Church. And he spoke when I asked him, I'm like, City Church, why would it be called City Church? And, and here, here were the two things. The name City Church is a sign that he, in the end times, I'm going to use the citywide church. I'm, 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 going to, I'm going to change the paradigm. It's not going to be church against church. It's not going to be churches competing. It's going to be a feeling of there's one church in each city, and, and we are cheering for each other. We're promoting each other. We're praying for each other. We're lifting each other up. City church is a sign that God wants us to think citywide, region-wide, really. And then the second thing was, when it happens, it would be a sign to me that there will be an end times revival. That the church is not just going to barely slip out as it's decreasing by the rapture and Jesus is going to get us out of here. That No, there's going, the world will know the church has been here before the rapture. That God's got something left. And what I had never seen before was the connection between the two. Jesus said this, Father, make them one. Then the world will know that you have sent me and that I've loved them, that you have loved them even as you've loved me. That this change in paradigm is what's going to lead to the coming revival. Um, one, one family. All right. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Please. It is really important that you know that you're in this family. Jesus said to those that were only religious, he said, uh, many are going to come and sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you're going to be left out, you doers of evil. To become part of the family, you need to repent. You need to turn from your own way, and you need to be born again. Nobody gets in the family because your parents are in the family, or, or because you've got a relative, or because you like the youth pastor, because you put something in the offering, or because you've done some religious things. No one gets in that way. Everybody has to be born into the family. And it comes from repentance and opening your life, opening your heart to Jesus. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Jesus, this is why he died and rose again from the dead, was to adopt you. He wants you in his family. 